Love you, man. Love you, too. Love you, too. Love you, too. Welcome, all you peoples out there listening to Two Weirdos in a Box or on your cell phone or wherever you're listening to us. Hopefully, you're sitting down and aren't running and falling off of the treadmill. Um, but if you are, that's a, a good laugh, too. Please send us a photo or a video. Um, we enjoy those seasons as well. I'm Pastor Joseph, and Pastor Jer is my brother in Christ. And we hey. are anchored and devoted here to help you in your journey as siblings in Christ. Um, today, we're talking about personal stuff um, and just reflecting a little bit. Uh, so I hope that helped. Um, and we really haven't dug into what we're reflecting on. <laughs> but I know I'd like to kick it off by talking about um, uh, speech when it comes to First, when did you come to Christ? I guess that would be the first question. How old were you when you came to Christ? What was the situation? <laughs> That's a great question. I was, um, I came, I remember very vividly when I was four years old, going upstairs and going to my bedroom and praying a prayer that, you know, was close enough to the sinner's prayer for me at four years old. I don't recall what prompted that other than, I knew it's what I need to do. You know, there was no, um, there was nothing else surrounding that memory. There's no, no sermon or no discussion with parents or anything like that. It was just knew that's what I needed. Um, so I, I'll date my conversion to that time, but, but for me, the real beginning of my Christian walk, Mm-hmm. was around the time I was 14 or 15. Um, our church during this time, this is this was back during the mid-90s. And uh, during that time, there were several cycles of um, revivals that were going on, or so-called mm-hmm. revivals. Uh, the Vineyard Toronto Blessing was one of them, and my church had picked up on that, and we had uh, a number of people following it. And the impact of that was that we started having what we called renewal services on Sunday nights. We, we as a church, were typically just a Sunday morning service with small groups throughout the week and no Sunday night service. So we started doing these Sunday night services, and they were, um, I believe for the most part, there were no preaching, no teaching, no word. It was just worship and prayer body ministry and to some extent getting lost in the sauce which you know i'm perfectly fine with. i'm a charismatic with my, with a seatbelt on it's it doesn't bother me at all so anyway uh to for those of you who are newer in the faith and, and don't know what it means to be slain in the spirit that's where the holy spirit comes down and strikes you with a with a javelin of lightning in the spirit and you fall over and don't know what to do but aren't you filled with him and sealed with him? So why must you be struck by him? You know, the struck I'm good with. It's the slaying that he does that I don't, I never understood why he was like, okay, we're, I mean, maybe it's from Benny Hinn. I don't know. But uh, I also, just for kicks and giggles, the church where I now pastor, I was, is, was related to the church I grew up in. And the first place I remember being slain in the spirit was here in our current sanctuary 
back when it was still a basketball gymnasium with lines on the floor and no carpet. So I remember being slain in the spirit here when I was probably no older than nine years old or something. Nice cold concrete floor laying out on. Anyway, fast forward to when I'm 14 or 15. Um, I had already lost the vision in my right eye. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very convinced and and still am very convinced that if God was willing to restore my sight, he could do so, regardless of what condition my eye was at that point or now is in. And so I would, one of the things that I would, would go for prayer for was for healing. Um, I serve a big God. I believe he still heals today. Um, Mm -hmm. The fact that he hasn't healed me and it's been almost, you know, 25 years doesn't dissuade me from that conviction one iota. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm there. I get prayed for and I fall out in the spirit and I'm laying there. And one of the things I would do when this would happen is I would make these, these great um, bargains with God. God, I'm not going to wear my, my glasses again because I know you're going to heal me or I'm not going to get up off the floor here until you restore my sight. And inevitably, you know, after 30 or 40 minutes, I would get up off the floor or the next morning I'd walk around for like three or four hours without my glasses and then eventually put them back on because I wanted to read Reader's Digest or something, you know, and <laughs> I don't think God ever uh, got upset with my lack of faith. And, I don't see it as a lack of faith, to be completely blunt. Um, I see it as a bad theology. Um, mm. <laughs> 14 is really understandable. But one of these times, I'm laying there, and this image, which I'm going to go ahead and say God gave me a vision, uh, gave me this image of, of my life. Mm. And the image was me in a tunnel. And I could see on the far end light. I could see there were cracks in like the ceiling. And, and as I'm going through this tunnel, uh, basically there's a choice set ahead of me. You can stay here in the dark. You can think that you're seeing the light or you can come out and live in the light. But if you live in the light, you can't go back into the tunnel. Mm. I said, God, I want to live in the light. And from that moment forward, my faith became real. My, the relationship that I had with God, as we talked about, Last time, the difference between religion and relationship. At that point, I went to knowing I had heard God's spirit speaking to me and calling me personally to know him. Mm. And from that, from that moment on, I've walked as his man. And, uh, you know, there's been lots of ups and downs since then, but kind of four to 14 is four is when. I gave him my head, I suppose. I really gave him my heart. 14, I gave him my will. It was at that point I knew I've got to follow him. I can't, I can't live for me any longer. What about you? Well, um, for me, I came to Christ at age six. Uh, so I was late in, uh, in comparison to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, Bill, just a year ahead of me, though, in uh, in in chronology. But uh, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, as far as time, uh, it came to Christ at a similar time. Yes, in, in Chronos time. Yes, it was <laughs> very similar. We'll have to talk about time one day, one of these as well. Um, but uh, 
I was on my way home with my mom and um my mom loves God like she gets a hug from him and snuggles with him every day. Like she loves him um beyond my understanding as a six year old, but I knew her love and knew her love for me was similar to the love that she had for God. Yeah. Where, um it was you know overflowing extraordinary um love and that was super attractive to me as far as causing me to want to know god um our family situation was everything uh, as far as broken and dysfunctional right um and I mean, we can get into that later, but it, it was one of those things where her love was so much a bright spot that on our way home, I had to question how she could be so joyous and joyful. Um, and she just shared. And um, we pulled over on the side of the road on a major highway. I remember it very clearly. Um, it's funny because many of the things from that season in life, I have to remember via photo, but that I personally remember. Mm. Um, there's no photo. My mom doesn't even remember it, which is funny to me. You'd think she'd remember that, but probably <laughs> it's kind of like me with my son, where you're like, ah. um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, I chose to believe in Christ. I chose to um, yield my heart then with an understanding that I was six. So I couldn't fully understand, you know, all the revelations or all of Genesis, <laughs> stuff that we still bicker about today. Um, but I, I could understand that there's a creator and um, that he loved me and that I could have a real relationship with him and I didn't need anyone else. It could just be mine. Um, I also understood that I needed to be forgiven. She explained that, you know, God died for me and um, and that I was a sinner, even at six. And um, I remember crying in the car, crying in the car with her and celebrating in the car with her and us going home back to our dysfunctional lives with the understanding that I had a new relationship that I could trust in. Mm. Prayer was more real after that. Um, and like yourself, uh, you know, there are fits and starts and times of being distracted in my journey with God and times where I wasn't following the way I should. Um, and it was really in the um, teenage years as well, where um, I was baptized. Um, and I had been baptized as a kid, but it was the one during the teen years that I remember. I don't remember the one as a kid. Mm. No, it happened. I know there's photos. <laughs> right. But I don't remember that. Right. Um, I remember the one as a teenager and I remember us going to the church and them asking about baptism and um, their thing was one where they didn't accept children baptism. They only accepted it as, you know, an adult, even though that could be a teenager. Okay. Um, and so we were baptized, both my sister and I, and that was a defining moment in my life where, um, God began to show out as far as the men that he placed in my life, as far as uh, sharpening me, the young adults he placed in my life, uh, so that um, I could learn how to walk properly in him and to follow him. 
And, and so I'd say th- those were the two big ones, similar to you. Um, but I know that, you know, for some listeners, they're going to be more seasoned in life when they came to Christ. And then there'll be others that are similar. The majority, actually, of believers, at least in the U.S., are ones that come um, as youth. Uh, and um, my hope is that even as we move forward with the podcast, that it doesn't matter when you come to Christ, you'll be able to learn something and grow. But I do know that for me, in my walk, um, there was a defining moment where I chose at six. And then there was another moment where, as you stated, I I fully let go. And that was uh, at the time of baptism, uh, the second time. Not that the first one didn't take. It was just. (laughs) Right. Right. So do you think both of our stories have a lot of comparisons, a lot of parallels? Do you think that there's something about our experience that is normative for believers? Should people listening to this be thinking, well, that, that... I didn't have an experience like that, so am I really in the club as my card stamp? Well, I, I mean, there's, and you know, I mean, you know my heart. I, I believe a large majority of people that go to church on Sunday aren't saved. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yes, I, I do really believe that. And that has nothing to do with walking out, raising your hand, or even being dumped, right. or, you know, being splashed, whatever, or making a splash. Um, it, it really has to do with the relationship. And that doesn't matter as far as timing. Like you have to come as a kid or you have to come as a senior or a young adult. No, when you, you know, God loves you. And when you turn to him, you're created to, to love him. He created you for that. And when you, uh, in your free will, turn to him, um, that's the time. Like <laughs> there's no worries as far as, at least for me, when it comes to, um, you know, okay, you're a senior citizen and it's too late. No, that's not it at all. Um, but there is a question as far as do you have a relationship with them? Now, are you doing stuff with yeah. the relationship? Yeah. I'm really encouraged by two stories in scripture. One is the story of the uh, two criminals that died on either side of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a guy who is on his death. Mm-hmm. looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, I, I can't do anything. There's no time left. I have no ability. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to let me ride in your coattails, I want to do that. And Jesus turns to him and says, hey, yeah, you're in. This day, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's crazy. amazing. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But the second one is the story of Samuel. Here's a cat who is dedicated to God. Uh, number one, he's born miraculously because his dad's way too old to have him. If his mom's had lots of miscarriages. At two years old, more or less, his parents dedicate him to God, give him to Eli to live and be brought up in the temple. And by the time he's six or seven years old, God is speaking directly to him. I, I would say that Samuel probably never knew a time when he didn't know God. Uh, and even if you go to say, you know, when he was six years old, whenever God spoke to him that first time, it was from that point on that he knew he'd heard the voice of God. Mm-hmm. There's, there's such a range of, of on-ramps, if you will, of on-ramps to a relationship with Christ that, you know, this, it's as, as possible as, as there are varied options to say, hey, 
this was my story, but it doesn't, your story doesn't have to be like mine. God may have saved you out of heroin while you were laying in the gutter. He may have saved you while you were laying in your deathbed, fighting stage four cancer 20 minutes before you were ushered into eternity. It doesn't matter if God has called you and you respond to him, you're his. Um, and I don't want to beat, this drum, beat on this drum too much, but again, it goes to the gospel. There's nothing that we did to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we did to make God take notice of us mm-hmm. or to be impressed with us. He saved us out of his great love for us. And we, we either responded or we didn't. We're either his as a result or we're not. Correct. And so it's not works that save you. Um, as you stated with the man on the cross, there's no work <laughs> you can do. He was a full-blown sinner. Like, <laughs> he's literally dying for his sin, and it still isn't payment enough for death or for his sin. So yeah. he understands he needs to accept Christ, and he does. Yeah. That, I mean, that's humbling. I know the tough part for most believers is, is the when you come to Christ as a child, and then you've got the long road to hoe um serving (laughs) um you know his service on the cross was an instant (laughs) yep um but the day-to-day serving that you and i and others do is one where um it's it's hard especially in light of someone who has that end of death conversion and has lived their full life in sin the way they wanted. Um, they were a slave to sin, didn't realize that. Uh, we're free in Christ, and often we don't fully embrace that. Um, <clears throat> but it's, or not but, but and, we have to um, reconcile our daily interactions with all the relationships we have around us in light of who Christ is. Um, that for anyone listening is Dave's uh, synopsis of Romans 6 through 13. <laughs> <laughs> I think we ought to hit that sometime. I mean, it's you, seriously to, to any new believers who are listening to this right now, what I want to underscore what Dave just said um, we are free in Christ and we are no longer slaves to sin, but there is a constant daily working out of that salvation that is real labor it's real work um and it's not because we are still under the yoke of sin that's um that's a whole discussion or set of discussions right there Hmm. i got a question for you go for it once you go into uh while you were in your teens you got baptized what changed either for you or in you at that time, what what did you notice in yourself that was different? Um, what changed in me? Um, I'd say my conversations with God definitely changed, mm. and that was a a big change. Um, I was never a person who was cursing a lot like that so that was never a thing for me right um even when i was in the navy that was still never a thing like that was never oh let's curse like sailors um (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh, it's 
I'd say the um, the ability to really trust God without having to see things done my way, and you kind of hit mm -hmm. on that earlier, um, to be able to um, to emote with God, to um, to even be upset <laughs> with God, um, not. Uh, not, you know, to the point of profaning God or being silly, but to the point of being able to share my expectations and the hurt that comes when um, my expectations don't seem to be met. Yeah. And there, it, it isn't a, a pride or a hubris kind of thing. It's more a, a reality of just being a broken vessel and um, desiring the best, whether it's for me or for others, and just not seeing at least my definition of it and realizing, okay, I was out of line, or um, I was not, or God was doing something different, and I misunderstood. And that, that hurts. Um, it, it genuinely hurt. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'd say prayer life uh, definitely uh, changed a lot. Um, like I said, I'd already been a child in faith. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the journey became more rich, more sweet, more honest. Um, and it became more moment by moment. It wasn't a, like even just now, I told you, I was jogging before we recorded this and or started recording. Um, halfway through my jog, I had to have a moment and just talk to God because that's where I was. <laughs> um, and so it messed up my timing for my run. <laughs> but the reality was this was, you know, I had a thought, and I was like, I need to take this to God. And honestly, I'm not going to remember by the time I get home. So, And he's here, so <laughs> let me just stop. Let me stop what I decided to do <laughs> and actually do what he, I need to do, which is pray. Um, <laughs> so I definitely say that. What about for you? What what changed when you, when you made the biggest decision? Biggest things that stand out to me is, one, I had a real earnest desire to be in the Word. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I had a very strong impulse to be reading scripture as often and as long as possible. Um, and yeah, it probably lasted for two or three months before it started to wane, but it would come back and it would kind of swell up. I mean, there was a point in time in that period of time where um, the words that I was reading in scripture started connecting to themselves in ways that I wasn't expecting. And my vision at that point was already bad. So I started putting together, pulling verses out and typing them up and putting them onto uh, a running sheet of paper at like, you know, 44 point font or something so I could read them and hang them on my wall. And I'd have seven or eight pages of four or five different passages just strung together because there was some truth about God or about life that these passages clarified and crystallized in my mind. And I had a desire to continuously be doing that. The second one was the reality of the presence of Jesus became, it started, you know, I, I always knew that Jesus was, one of the first verses I remember memorizing was Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord 
or on the evil and the good. Um, I knew from a very young age, God was always watching. He could always see everything I did. He always knew everything that was in my mind and my heart and on my tongue before I spoke it. So there was nothing that was hidden from him, in other words. But after, at this point in my life, the reality that Christ, my older brother, my advocate, and my great high priest, who had already secured my righteousness and had already given me the gift of his inheritance, was in a very literal way with me everywhere I went. You know, to the point where I started doing some silly things, like I'd keep an extra seat at the table and say, that's for Jesus. And I'd have an open seat beside me and say, no, this one's for Jesus. Don't, don't sit on him because he's here with me. He's watching. And he's not just watching, but we're in conversations as this is going on. I'm talking to him. And he's speaking back to me because he's literally right here. And I wasn't under any kind of delusion that Jesus was only right there and speaking to me in some sort of way that he wasn't to other believers. But it, I became very aware that the relationship was one that was not theoretical and it wasn't accessed solely through going to scripture and reading, but it was an ongoing conversation between me and my king, where I, just like you said, I'm able to be real and raw with him and tell him the pains I'm having, the anger I'm feeling, the hopes I have, the disappointments I have. When I like a girl and the fact that I like her for the wrong reasons and I want to like her for even worse reasons, he already knows that. He already knows all this. But he invited me during this time to just open that up to him and say, hey, I know it already. Why don't you come and, and join me here? And why don't you now get on to my page and start walking through this with me? Um, that, that lasted for, and that intensity for probably a year or two. Um, that was a short time before I graduated high school. Um, but it was a big change. It was a big change for me. I took my Bible reading, my prayer, my personal testimony, my personal conduct, how the standards I held myself to, to show the love and the holiness of God uh, towards others, uh, and to be an ambassador for Christ. All of those became not just add-ons, but necessary parts of my identity, not because they had to be, but because they were birthed out of whatever the Holy Spirit had done in my heart at that time. I think it's interesting that for both of us, we went to God. Um, there was a natural pulling to get closer. You through the word, me through prayer. Um, you through... Um, God's, you know, given word, and, and me through um, the conversation. Um, I know that at that time, I was at a church where literally the pastor preached out of um, the scriptures that everyone had memorized. So we all in chorus would <laughs> yeah. 
they, you know, Romans three, whatever. And then everyone would say, and then he'd move forward. So it was powerful. That's powerful, man. It's one of those things where the culture was saturated with the word. That's awesome. And, um, uh, I also know that, you know, um, my desire for communion, um, with God was deep. Um, Mm. I I just wanted to get as close and as um, to be known, uh, to be fully known. Um, And I knew he knew me, but I just, I wanted to be there. And that was what I, that's what I'm hearing from you as well. As you said, you wanted to get into the word and just soak it up. Like you want to be known as well as to know him. Yeah. And that's huge. I think every believer, Every believer, anywhere in any country, <laughs> we're all siblings, you know, family. That that should be part of our um, thinking, part of our um, norms throughout the day is this desire to get closer to God. Absolutely. In, um, in psychology and attachment theory, there's an idea of imprinting that we, we describe imprinting as when a life has experienced something such that that experience becomes a part of the psyche of the person. It it impacts their life from that point forward, maybe in good ways, maybe in bad ways, but inextricably uh, until it, that imprinting is undone. It's almost like etching into stone or, or into, you know, I've got a, um, my wedding ring has something etched into it. Until that's actually removed, it's there and cannot be. Um, the life's going to be marked by it. And we talked a little while ago, not today, but another day, about the fact that we are image bearers of God. Mm. And what I'm hearing is that early in our walk with God, around the time of our salvation, there was an imprinting that God was doing of his spirit on us, of who he was onto us. And as you were talking, it made me think of something else that I had, uh, that was a major shift for me. I'd grown up in a pretty legalistic, fundamentalist Christian environment. Mm. That fundamentalism, that legalism, the self-righteousness that comes with it, and I'll describe that this way just for a definition. As a fundamentalist before this experience in my life, I believe that I had to do the right things in order for God to be pleased with me, in order for him to turn towards me with favor, with kindness, with acceptance. If I knew the right thing to do, I had to do it. Otherwise, basically, I was going to take him off, and he was going to cross his arms and turn his back. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that wasn't scriptural. Mm-hmm. But that was in the, almost in the warp and woof of the religion that I had been steeped in. When this happened in my life, that legalism, that fundamentalism, all of it fell away. Uh, All of it. A lot of it fell away very noticeably. There was a very marked change in the way that I understood how God saw me. And it was very separated from, divorced from anything that I could do right or wrong. It became very clear to me 
very real to me that God, when he saw me, saw Christ. And so what I did mattered, but it didn't impact the way that he, the way that he was disposed towards me. And that freed me, like you were saying, to be much more honest with him. I no longer had to hide things from him that I was ashamed of. This goes back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sin and God calls for them. He's walking through the garden. He's calling saying, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I mean, I heard you calling, but uh, I was naked and I was afraid, so I hid. That shame is the reality that we live with when we recognize that we are sinners and that that sin separates us from God. Well, when I had walked through that door of Christ's righteousness, I moved from being separated from God to being united with Christ, and that shame fell away. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter that I was naked. I could be naked and accepted before God, just as I was, because it was through Christ that I had been brought. Um, that was, that's a marked difference between me and a lot of my friends at that time, because many of them walked out of that legalism either by leaving the church altogether or by embracing sort of a Christianity light where God is love, not holiness. Um, I, that, that wasn't the case for me. And, and it's, it's not to say that I'm better or, or anything like that. That is simply to say my experience in that church at that time was fairly unique based on what I've observed and the friends I've talked to through the years. I had one other question I wanted to throw at you. Um, and we can obviously clip this and either cut it out or do us a two-parter, but um, wanted to know, Pastor Joseph, <laughs> what in your life has been, um, what have been one or two of the kind of paramount shaping experiences or um, markers in your life? You know, Dave is a little over than, a little older than 40 years old. Um, there's 40 plus years of history there of who he is and living this life. And I'd like to know, I'd like you to tell us what of your life has do you think has had um, you know some of the more significant impact on making you into who you are today good or bad well i mean we've already passed 30 minutes <laughs> now we can make this part two i do i do need to do some other stuff today too um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too but i love you <laughs> i love you as well um, we can clip it. Yeah, we're gonna we have go back this. Um, I, I mean, I think we can talk about it. What is today? Today's Tuesday. Let's talk about it on Thursday or the, the next time. Sounds good. Let's start off with that. Sounds perfect. Start off with this question. Cool. Sounds good, man. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs>